0: I'm Noel and uh, joining me today are Maxim Fative and Rylan Goldstein. Um, Maxim is CEO and founder of Temporal and Rylan, uh, I believe you just told me you were like doing full stack dev. Is that right?
1: I'm, I'm head of product at
0: Temporal. Head of product. Nice. That's even better. Cool. Even even a better perspective.
1: I, I agree. I got a quick promotion there. Yeah,
0: nice. No, no worries. No worries. Yeah, we, were, we were talking a lot before the show, so just trying to keep all my ducks in a row here. Um, but yeah, I'll just kind of turn it over to you guys real quick. Can you, can you each give us a little bit of your background, kind of where you came from, um, and how you found yourselves at Temporal?
2: So I've been around for, for a while, over, uh, uh, over 20 years. But um, in 2002, I joined Amazon. When it was a relatively small company with eight hundred developers, and then uh, I spent a total eight and a half years at Amazon, uh, saw how Amazon Web Services were conceived and grew, and I was declared for the uh, pub- PubSub system of Amazon. Practically, they have called Amazon Messaging Platform. Later, uh, it, Simple Queue Service took uh, that uh, part of that platform as the as a backend. And then, uh, le- uh, as a tech lead for the, the kind of this uh, Pops Up ecosystem, it, it I clearly my team and me we saw that uh, building uh, microservices and kind of communi- uh, communication between microservices using queues wasn't really good approach. So we wanted some orchestration solution, and out of that, uh, simple workflow service was built, uh, kind of conceived on uh, Amazon N- AWS SWF uh service which is still uh, part of uh, amazon offering and i was the for the public release of that service and um later um we ca- uh, when i uh, ended up at uber uh we built a similar um, kind of solution on the same ideas but using completely different software stack the project was called cadence and that uh, project was open source from the beginning and later uh we started company temporal and forked the project and now we have temporal uh, project, uh, which is continuation of of ideas of Amazon Simple Workflow and Cadence, and uh, I was tech, uh, I was engineer all my life. I was an individual contributor, never managed a person, and then we started the company. Now I'm CEO.
0: Nice, that's quite the jump. We'll, we'll kind of unpack that a little bit if we have time here at the end, probably. Um, but before we do, how about you, Ryan? What what's your background?
1: Yeah, um, so my background is uh, very much on the engineering side of things as well, although obviously uh, less storied than than Maxims. Uh, I think, you know, I really got into coding and to programming um, when I was quite young, um, like in my teens, Uh, I wanted to like basically write cheats for games. uh, And so I learned low level uh, programming, actually, it's like the the way I got into the space. Uh, And that passion pretty much carried me through university, I went to University of Washington, Uh, eventually ended up joining a startup from one of the professors that was sponsoring me for research. Uh, and so that was actually like my foray also into like the distributed system space. Um, the company I first worked for was building like a competitor to Apache Spark. And so it was like, um, you know, scale up map style product, um, all done with like, you know, on-prem hardware. Um, there was no notion of the cloud. That was sort of like a dirty word at the time. Uh, And so then that was really, you know, how I got into distributed systems Um, very quickly. I ended up becoming like a leadership instead of just like an individual contributor, Um, like obviously still coding, but doing a lot more of like management and and the architecture and design. Uh, And then I actually started a company with two other guys um, that was very much a cloud play. Um, We were trying to build a competitor to AWS Lambda. Uh, And so we ended up getting funding. I actually moved to Israel um, to bootstrap and start that company. Uh, And, uh, you know, we did um, a lot of work for like three or three three or four years um, on that product uh, and brought it to market Um, and they eventually actually got acquired by Twitter. Uh, And so when I left that company, um, it was right before the pandemic started and I honestly was just mostly taking a break. Um, But then the only investor for Temporal at the time um, reached out to me and said, Hey, look, I I read some of your writing online. Uh, You should be doing product work for, for this company. Uh, And so that's that's how I got introduced to Max and Samar. Um, I was the fifth hire at the company, um, and I was brought in to do like um, product stuff around like developers. Um, But for like I would say the first uh, twelve to eighteen months, I was sort of running the business of Temporal, uh, so responsible for all the non-engineering functions.
0: Oh, gotcha, gotcha. That can be yeah, like kind of a, a technical endeavor as well I've found recently yeah. like there's a lot of there's a lot of nuance there sometimes um, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna just start like throwing some questions out there you guys take them whoever you think is better to answer feel free to jump in um, but maybe can we like for those who aren't familiar with temporal temporal at all can we like contextualize a little bit what is temporal what problem is it trying to solve
2: uh, it's a uh, it's a uh, how to describe actually in two words so let, let me kind of give you a general idea uh, the problem the uh, we, we, we need reliability like we need to uh, these days we are building these kind of distributed systems and, uh, and from unreliable components and we need to make sure that our uh, programs like you and our applications uh don't fail uh, because when unreliable components fail and um like mo- t- take the most basic example let's say we do money transfer in old days you would just say okay his database transaction across these two kind of uh, like insert and delete for, or update uh, from a few records, we get a transaction, everything is updated or not, and we get reliability just from transactions. But uh, these days, uh, you kind of withdraw money from one service or one bank and you deposit it another one. There, is, there are no transactions across them. And how do you ensure, for example, this happens in the presence of various failures? And usually developers uh, uh, need to come up with a bunch of workarounds. They start using queues, they start to checkpointing uh, state in the database, they need to break their code into the bun- bunch of callbacks because every time process can crash and so on and so on. And Temporal practically uh, says, you can just write your code as we call durable execution. And uh, this code guaranteed to execute in the presence of failure. So practically you will just write co- uh, two lines of code, withdraw money and deposit money. And we say, this code will continue executing no matter what. So it means that your process can crash, your data center can go down and uh, then come back and so on. And then we will go and resurrect your process in exactly the same state and continue executing. And the uh, other interesting part of that, that any API call can take an pre- unpredictable amount of time. So if withdrawal takes three days because you need to do retries behind the scenes, or it just takes longer because human is involved in the approval process. Uh you still make a single line uh, line api call practically withdraw and it will block there for three days and it's not linked to a specific process it's it is safe to do because whatever crashes it will be resurrected and then three days later it returns to go to the ne- next line of code so it is a kind of very simple concept but it's a very uh, it is kind of very generic concept but it app- allows you to, and then you need the, the database because all your state all your variables is always persisted and durable. So you don't need to explicitly go and save state and load state from the database because you just keep them in your local variables. And it also simplifies your kind of programming experience big time.
1: Maybe what I would add on that, um, for coming from a very different angle uh, and very much inspired by someone on on my team, uh, who uh, Dominic, uh, who's very, very uh, passionate about databases and really like the fundamental abstraction that um, Temporal represents. Uh, you know, I think the way that he often um, describes things is that when you write, you know, say a very basic transaction in a database where you're, um, you know, taking money from, say, like one table that represents a user's account and you're um, putting money into a row of a different table that represents a different user's account. When you actually write that transaction, like in terms of the query um, in, you know, the database, uh, you don't have to like specify how those uh, operations are done. You say like, I want this thing done and I want this other thing done and they need to both be done or none of them need to be done. But you don't go into any of like the handling of like what happens if you know, it only gets partially done. Uh, And so, you know, um, regardless of how you feel about databases and writing uh, queries, I think that um, from an ideological perspective, almost everyone agrees that like, you know, not having to specify the details about, you know, handling the very specific failure cases and all of that, that that's generally better. It doesn't really provide you value uh, in what you're trying to do when you're using the database to have to go to that level of depth and understand all the different edge cases and conditions that can happen. Uh, And so I think that like from a very ideological point of view, again, uh, temporal is really about giving developers, sort of the same experience that you get when you write a, a query in a database, where you get to really specify the intent of what you want to do. Uh, but you don't have to get into the details of how you roll back a transaction when it fails partway through, because that's just an abstraction the database has provided you uh, and given you the ability to kind of not think about it anymore.
0: Enjoying the podcast? Consider hitting that follow button for even more great episodes. I guess. Is it fair then, um I guess, in this analogy to databases, I think we can we can kind of we lean on this the the database can just handle it mentality because like people have spent a bunch of time implementing the database to make it so like you know transactions are safe and things can be rolled back um but is that is that always a clear? analogy with like services that are necessarily being glued together because the dev is concerned often with like the implementation of the service itself as well right so there still needs to be some piece of knowledge that is you know like understood by the dev if they're implementing some downstream service that needs to like talk back up to an orchestration layer is that is that a fair I don't know postulation? like Is that is that fair to say?
2: So uh, I, I think uh, the idea is that uh, we have this uh, durable execution, and uh, in temporal terminology we call them workflows uh, for legacy reasons. Uh, but uh, one thing be very important, it's not like n- new language. You just write that in normal language, and we support SDKs in every language. For example, if you're a TypeScript developer, not JS developer, you will just write your code as TypeScript. You actually will write TypeScript code like this drawing deposit, right? So yeah. we have Java, PHP, uh, Python SDKs coming. And, uh, um, and Go, uh, and, and Go, I think the most widely used SDK right now is still Go. And uh, uh, so, uh, and if you're inside of that world of uh, kind of workflows and durable executions uh, and uh, all services participate in that, their life is much easier because they practically don't need to do a lot of work which you would do with, normally with the services. Uh, but uh, usually there is externa- an external world which doesn't participate in that. And this way you can integrate with that. We do it for activities. Activities are kind of just pieces of code, task handlers, which can execute any code. And then uh, you will just invoke these APIs which exist and you will integrate. But Temporal will automatically provide things like retries, making sure that things complete, like workflows complete, but like any API call, will be retried automatically and so on and so on. it kind of plays nicely with your, uh, and other important thing, you don't need to like do one huge migration. It's not like you need to go say, oh, I will throw away my current architecture and, and put temporal in and it will help you. It is more about, oh, I want to, for example, this specific uh, part of my system uh, be durable and for example, execute these kind of few operations reliably. You can just introduce in one specific place and the rest of your architecture stays exactly the same. You just services become reliable, but you still can have the same services, the same APIs and so on. Gotcha.
0: Gotcha. So if I'm maybe in like a dev coming in, I've got, I've got a service that calls or a function that calls like three other services, right? For example. And like I, um, you're using your transaction example and like say that I'm interacting with a third party and like one is, uh, withdraw money and then the other, the second call is insert money and then the third one is like update invoice or something, for example. How does Portal help me solve the problem of like, if I'm, made it through withdraw, and then I go to, um, you know, like deposit money, make that second call, and something fails in that. And I need to like figure out then how what I'm supposed to do in regards to that first call, how does it help me solve that problem?
1: Like, what is, what is different? Drawing it back to that first analogy I gave, um, I think when you think about a database transaction, the super important thing to remember is that it's not a silver bullet. And uh, Temporal isn't either. Um, I think they're immensely valuable, um, but it doesn't solve all the problems. So if you take a database transaction, there's very valid reasons, reasonable reasons that a database transaction doesn't work. Uh, and as the developer, you need to know that that's the case. And you're going to get something back on your end that says, hey, this thing didn't work. Now, what you're guaranteed is that you're never going to get something back that says, what's going on here we don't know what happened um, you're either going to get something back that says it worked or it didn't work right and so um, the real thing about a database transaction is it doesn't just make everything work for you it gives you a very explicit contract about how things are going to be and it gives you a very clear way of understanding the world and how you should react to it and that makes it much much easier to develop applications that are reliable and just more enjoyable to, to develop in the first place I think temporal is the exact same way so you know we aren't some sort of like crazy you know solution for distributed transactions that nobody thought of before uh, because that's just it's not it's not possible. There's physics limitations there. Um, what we do is give you the most explicit interface and contract for when you're doing things across multiple discrete services so you always have a 100% understanding of what you're working with and how you should adapt uh, to make sure that you have the outcome that you're looking for. And so, um, directly in the context of the example that you gave with calling independent services, um, obviously we can't guarantee that all of those services are going to get called or, or none of them are going to get called. But what we can do is make sure that if one of the services gets called, that there's a very strong and concrete Record of that happening, and it always will happen uh, if that service gets called. And so that way, from the point of view of the developer, when they're actually writing their code, they don't ever have to do the guess and check work of like, well, what if this got called and then the thing crashed before you know I was able to record it? Uh, like, how do I know if this is in a consistent state? Because like what Temporal presents to you is very explicitly like the state of the world, regardless of what has happened to actually um, reach that that point in time. Um, sorry, Max, I don't know if you have more to add
2: there, but uh, I think they, uh, just uh, going back to that example, Uh, we need to distinguish two types of uh, failures and faults, right? Uh, So uh, there are infrastructure level things, processes crashing, uh, databases having outages, network events, and so on and so on. Those temporal handles kind of seamlessly. You don't, uh, you don't need to, practically, you don't write code to to account for your process crash. That's why you can write code, um, just three lines of code, deposit, withdraw, deposit, and generate uh, whatever, like um, invoice. And, we'll just, we, and Temporal will just write explicitly three lines of code, and we will guarantee that they execute. But then there are business level failures. For example, if you don't try to deposit to the account which doesn't exist, uh, I can uh, like there is no nothing Temporal can do about it because it is a business level failure. It's not infrastructure level failure. Then it will bubble up back to the application, and your code will need to decide to, what to do. In this case, probably it will run compensation and put money back onto the initial account. And that is part of the business logic. And uh, this is what people usually mm-hmm. do as sagas, with the saga pattern. And temporal is an awesome way to implement saga. But saga will be very simple. It's just mm-hmm. code which will go and run the compensation flows uh, uh, based on the code which executed. And uh, so, again, differentiating between business level failures, which, you, which is your business logic, versus infrastructure level failures, which are something which temporal takes care of uh, and uh, your code doesn't need to even think about. Uh, one way I call it is uh, uh, fault, fault oblivious. Like you can yeah. think about your code as being—we don't like that name because oblivious has a little bit negative connotation. But if you think about it, your code just doesn't need to even know that fault happened. It just mm. doesn't even notice that. It just keeps going as nothing happened.
0: Got it? That, yeah, that, I think that that delineation helps a lot for me. So, what, what about like a, in in this example? What if there's like a network failure on the second call, for example? Is that something that like is within Temporal's wheelhouse? And if so, where is that? Like, where do you guys draw that line when you're deciding what should and should not be handled?
2: So in this case, uh, reality is you're calling an external service, and this external service is not participating in Temporal kind of microcosm, right? So, so it will uh, practically make a call. This call will fail and timeout because of network, and uh, the best we can do we can do two things: we can retry, and Temporal will just retry these things uh, by default, or you can disable retries and run some some compensation action. For example, your API is not that important. And there is another API to check the result of, previ- of the previous uh, kind of state of the world. So you can say, don't retry, and Temporal will not retry. And it will go back to your business level logic and will say, no, run this different operation to check the state. And then if state it says operation didn't succeed, retry. So you can code these things as uh, explicit patterns in Temporal.
1: Yeah, I think the, the one thing, um, just, be, just to make sure it's clarified, is that... Uh, the user like Temporal doesn't make a decision about what stuff is within the scope of things that we like care about or not. Um, it's up to the user, and it's the user's responsibility to understand when they're interacting with things which are outside of Temporal's purview. Uh, and so we provide like a generic construct for any of these things, which is like essentially just a special type of function uh, that we call activities. Max mentioned those before, uh, and they're essentially like a container for work that you're doing that is unpredictable. Things that um you know Temporal can't reliably uh, do itself, and so uh, if you were doing a network call it would go in an activity if you're writing to the file system it would go in an activity if you're like doing random number generation for example uh, it would go in an activity Um, now the one cool thing is that we have added support um, with one language typescript um, that actually makes it impossible for users for the most part uh, to write code uh, that shouldn't be in a workflow um, in a workflow and it will actually um, stop them from even executing and compiling that code um, before they can uh, run in production
0: right it's interesting so is it is it fair to think of temporal them as temporal's uh, utility, then as kind of providing this activities abstraction layer on top of code that you are writing and running that helps you kind of um, manage and recover from unexpected states or just like more complex states than maybe intuitively handleable.
2: I wouldn't say activities. I think the idea of workflow is a durable execution, which is what we call workflow. And workflow is a function which is guaranteed to execute and state is preserved. But then uh, workflow orchestrates activities and can also react to external events. So you can send an event to the workflow. You can also query it. And in the future, we're implementing an update function. So uh, what it means is that uh, you kind of, if you have an existing, let's say, as as you said, you want to implement money transfer naively in the service. Somebody makes a call, you call three functions, and then uh, you return the call. And uh, this works until your process crashes in the middle. Right, and calls also can be retried and so on, like if, if they they uh, timeout. But then you will at some point you need to return. So practically in temporal, what will happen is that this uh, specific API calls, external API calls, you will put an activity, and then a workflow code will call those activities: withdraw activity, deposit activity, generate uh, receipt activity. And then right. uh, then there is a guarantee that you don't, uh, this code will execute which I calls those activities and will never be kind of die in the middle because even the process crash it will be resurrected in the same way
0: that makes sense to me uh, i guess more generically than when when you're when you're talking about durable execution which is a term i've heard you mentioned a few times are you, are you talking about that that abstraction in and of itself or is there something else that durable execution is meant to encapsulate
2: no durable execution is just uh, the uh, if you think at abstract level uh, without uh, any specific product like temporal or whatever uh, the uh, do, the idea is that you you have a function or a piece of code which which is not linked to a specific process, which guaranteed to execute in the presence of failure. That is the whole idea. And there are a few things which come out of that as I said that uh, it will uh, it will eventually complete because if it's down for two hours it cannot execute like if uh, the whole system is down, but then it will complete uh, continue executing. All variables should be durable because, uh, again, they are not linked to specific memory uh, because they continue executing. And then API calls can take any amount of time. So if you can call sleep 30 days, in uh, practically you say withdraw, sleep 30 days, deposit, then uh, you will uh, wait 30 days and continue because this process guaranteed to execute on abstract. And Temporal is practically a specific implementation of that uh, durable execution. And for legacy reasons, we call them workflows. But you practically will do that exactly the same. We'll write these lines of code. you will say sleep 30 days. For example, you need to do subscription for the user. You will say for loop in whatever language you are doing, right? If it supports for loops. Then you will say, like, for 12 months, like, I equals zero, blah, 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 less than 12, right? Then you will say sleep 30 days. Or, and then you will say, charge a charge user, send email that you've got charged, right? And then check installation status and exit that loop if it's canceled. That will be just, this is like 10 lines of code. And you uh, imagine the, doing that any other way. You need to have durable timer or cron job. and You need to have a table to keep state. You need to practically make sure that you can call those services reliably as retry. And in Temporal, uh, just your business logic. Like, uh, like you would write it if it uh, your memory would be durable forever, and this is what exactly we are providing.
1: Max, I think that's I think like really the inverse of what Max said, which is you you said it right before I think, which is that really durable execution at the end of the day it's about the developer writing only business logic, and and that includes business failure handling because that's not that's not something that exists separately than you know uh, business logic, and so I think really that's the end uh, state that the user experience like the change that you see is that. The person who's writing the code, they only have to be thinking of what's relevant for their business, and they don't have to worry about all these transient failures and things that actually don't have to do with what they're actually writing, which is the same value you get from a database transaction at some level as well, right?
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think I think there is also just like, I think that, that process you're describing, like a for loop with a long sleep in it, I think there's just like functional utility to that paradigm as well, beyond just like better error state and failure handling and, and all that stuff it's just like that is a useful thing to have on one's tool belt i think to you know write code like i can i can stop worrying about the externalities of the environment when i'm like writing my business logic so i think that that in and of itself is a is an easy thing to sell um, or you know it would be valuable for a lot of a lot of specific use cases for devs
3: it's emily again producer for pod rocket and i want to talk to you yeah you the person who's listening but won't stop talking about your new favorite front end framework to your friends even though they don't want to hear about it anymore well i do want to hear about it because you're really important to us as a listener so what do you think of pod rocket what do you like best what do you absolutely hate what's the one thing in the entire world that you want to hear about edge computing, weird little component libraries, how to become a productive developer when your Wi-Fi is out. I don't know. And that's the point. If you get in contact with us, you can rant about how we haven't had your favorite dev advocate on or tell us we're doing great, whatever. And if you do, we'll give you a $25 gift card. That's pretty sweet, right? So reach out to us. Links are in the description. $25 gift card.
0: Is there, you mentioned, I think, I think Maxim, I think you mentioned earlier about how you can kind of only use Temporal on a little subset of your code or kind of start massaging it in over time to a more complex code base. How does that process typically work, you know, if somebody's trying to, you know, make their services a little bit more robust, um, but they really haven't done much work at all?
2: So, for example, uh, uh, I don't want to name companies, but uh, one company, for example, had payment system was based on queues and a uh, bunch of services pushing messages for, to other services for queues. And then they uh, contact us and say, you know what, we have this downstream dependency which can be done for three days because it's a bank, they have bank holiday and they also want to do, have weekends. So they the SLA is three days. And uh, ca- uh, how, what do we do? Because you cannot retry from a queue for three days. There are no queues which support such long retry. And uh, then also need visibility. like there are a lot of things which go with that. And they're like, okay, uh, if, it fa- if this request fails, just go and uh, start a workflow, which will practically keep retrying. Because uh, in Temporal, there is no limitation of retries. You can retry for a year. You can just set uh, the retry policy, uh, expansion retry policy for a year, and it will keep retrying as long as necessary. And uh, that's w- that what they did. They just introduced this silly workflow, which was running single activity with a ret- uh, infinite retry, like three-day or five-day retry policy. And that is what they did. So two years later, I've learned that they replaced the, all their pay, payment system with just a bunch of workflows uh, using Temporal. <laughs> so that is kind of how it goes. That uh, they try it in one place, then they guess, oh, why these two services talk for queues? Maybe we just can do orchestration directly. And they kept keep growing, growing, growing. And this time they just um, ended up uh, throwing out all queues and just ended up with uh, a purely orchestrated solution. That is kind of one way. And uh, from other we, did, we never talked about use cases, right? But if you think about it, uh, we, uh, I can give you just some use case for infrastructure automation. From Hashi, Hashi, HashiCorp Cloud is built around this solution because they need to uh, provision new nomad new, new clusters, they need to provision new infrastructure, they need to talk to unreliable cloud APIs, and uh, they even run Terraform as an activity. So practically, uh, and, uh, and also you can do lifecycle manage, because you can have this loop practically waiting for external events and taking action. So you can have this kind of um, uh, durable execution, uh, workflow always running for a resource. For example, for the cluster, taking requests and making sure ser- uh, running them one by one, serializing them because there is uh, full consistency there and guarantee there is only one workflow running per uh, business ID. So, if there is cluster ID, there is guarantee that there will be a single point of control. So, writing control planes for cloud services is one big event. Infrastructure uh, the automation. Then, deployment, CI CD pipelines. For example, uh, Netflix team uh, rewrites the internal version of Spinnaker on top of the uh, Temporal right now because they pra- practically they write a bunch of other CI CD systems doing that. Uh, then, business flows. Uh, certainly, um, um, like things like Uber Eats, or things like DoorDash, uh, they are very good, good, uh, good uh, examples of uh, re- um, business flows, payment system. Like uh, p- people doing peer payments, sagas, uh, real time payments, or asynchronous payments. A, a lot of fintech uh, fintech use cases, and then you go up to stack like mortgage processing. Uh, people do all if people are involved. So you start from very, very like uh, uh, infrastructure automation or like uh, low level IoT device management. And then go up to like business uh, flows, which invoke humans. R-
1: Really, Max, you're talking about there's two different dimensions of the question you're answering, and I didn't even realize what the other dimension you're answering was until the end, uh, which is that really there's like, how do you uh, like piecemeal onboard a specific use case, like incrementally, uh, you know, bringing on more and more of a, a specific use case. And then like, how do you piecemeal onboard a company, which is the second part of what Max was talking about. I, I think the one to add on that first one, uh, honestly, the most common pattern is that people have an existing system. It's not built with Temporal. It's running in production. They build a parity system with Temporal. They Incrementally move more and more traffic over in like a mixed mode until they're you know comfortable and satisfied with things, and then they just cut over once they realize temporal is going to make their life 10x better, which is almost.
2: I'm going to say you can start from a small subset of the system, and then they just keep growing that. Yes.
0: Yeah. Gotcha. How does okay? So I'm. This is probably I could probably go read the docs, but I'm not, and I'm just curious now that we're talking about it. Like, say uh, we have some long, you have some long running service, like you know, something sleeping for, I think. 10 days, or even like a year or something, I think you used in the previous example. And say that there's like some bug in the code discovered, like in the interim, right? Like something's sleeping and waiting. And like, what, like, how, how do you think about that as a developer using temporal? Like, what, like, what, what can, what, um, I don't know, considerations do you have to give to those, like, currently waiting processes that haven't resumed yet?
2: So that is a very good question. So ver- practically, you're talking about versioning. How do I upgrade code for long-running processes, which is a very non-trivial problem. Uh, there is no like super ideal solution in the world for that, but uh, we have, I think, uh, the next be- best thing. Practically, we allow you to upgrade your code, uh, change your code while while process is running. So if you have a bug, obviously you cannot change the past. If you pass the past part of the bug, you already kind of executed that and so on. Uh, we actually can do, uh, okay, there is actually other feature we can do, and Rylan will already probably want to talk about that. But uh, uh, in general, if you raise a bug on the part which workflow didn't reach yet, you can just upgrade your code, and we will make sure that this new code will be executed. And we have support for that. Um, there is other part, okay, Rylan, probably you want to cover that.
1: Yeah, so we also support a capability um, because one of the ways you can kind of conceptualize the way that Temporal tracks the stuff that's happened in your workflow, your application, uh, is something that kind of is similar to like the, the history that Git provides, right? So we have this uh, log of all the different events um, and, and um, of things that contributed to the state of your workflow being what it is um, at this point in time. Uh, and so what you can actually do uh, is we have this feature called Reset, uh, where you can actually choose a specific event in that that log, that history of, of events um, that's, you know, Representing your workflow's execution, and you can choose to reset back to a specific point in time um, that your workflow was executing during. And essentially, what will happen is that there will be like a new execution of that workflow that's created from that point in time, uh, but then it will continue executing as if like you know all the stuff that had been recorded before had never happened um, in, in the past. And so, essentially, what you can do, obviously, it doesn't undo if you call.
2: Uh, but there is one comment: uh, it reapplies events automatically, so it won't lose events which were sent to that workflow uh, even after that point. Yeah. Cool. So I can give you a real a use case. Uh, for example, you, you are an airline and you want to do uh, the uh, system to track points, airline points, these bonus points. So practically, you can just write a workflow which will keep those points inside of its variables and listen for external events uh, like uh, completion event, uh, trip completion events, and then increment those points. And then uh, as soon as you reach a certain number of points, you can run an action to call some downstream service, promote that user to, to the next tier. For example, uh, this is actually a real example uh, for one of, our, of one of our users. And that, uh, what happened is they, they actually had a bug which uh, reset those points, like miscalculate those points. And they knew exactly which deployment caused that. So we probably have a feature when we mark the deploy, they roll back the code, but then we also mark the feature saying that previous build was bad. And it actually found all places where each, each workflow, which was touched by bad build, rolled them back to the point before the build, and reapplied all trip event, completion events again. So probably we did the backfill with a single command. And across uh, millions millions of users in parallel. And uh, try doing that on top of database if you corrupted that with your bad code.
0: That's wild. Yeah, like, um, yeah, it's kind of kind of that, that ability to like go in and replay events from the past. It, it feels like a a super it feels like a little bit of a Pandora's box i I would think an implementation, but like it does sound super useful for those kinds of cases where it's like oh you know we've got we've got we've corrupted our data, but we do have a very detailed event log of what can and cannot be rerun. Is that feature pretty new like is that is that been a, a recent development?
2: Uh, it's been around for the last four years. And uh, and we also have the log. The, the temporal by definition, just by its implementation, has this log. It's not that uh, engineering needs to do, like when you write your code, you don't think about it. It's just part of the system. Um,
0: how about how about new stuff on the horizon? Like what, what's coming out soon? What are you guys excited about?
2: Oh, a lot of a lot of things. Uh, one thing is that uh, just to kind of exp- um, give a high level picture, we are we are uh, it's an open source, right? Temporal temporalio, you can go to our website. It's an open source. It's under Apache um, actually MIT license. Some libraries, uh, I think Java Java SDK is Apache license, Apache 2 license. So it is anyone can download it, you use it. There are a lot of uh, companies uh, using that in production. We have a long list of companies we can reference. Um, We have awesome case studies on our website. And um, at the same time, the way we monetize that is we monetize it as a SaaS offering. We practically, because Temporal kind of consists from two parts. Your application code, which you run and, it's, uh, and uh, SDK libraries. And then there is a backend service which keeps track of sta- the state and uh, that performs queuing and all sorts of durable timers, all these other things. So you can run both components. You can run your application, you can run the backend cluster. But we as a company provide you cloud solution when we run these things for you. And this makes your life easier when you... Um, also, it creates kind of good incentives because we're not creating this, like, you know, I usually you break this open core model when you have this kind of version of the product which is for, for selling and then version of the product which is not for selling. We provide the same API on the cloud and the open source, and we guarantee backwards compatibility. We guarantee if you can run against our cloud, you can run it against the open source. And in, in the future, we actually will provide even live migration tools. You will be able to switch traffic back and forth to the cloud and from the cloud without downtime. Uh, we, we, we will have those features uh, in future. Um, so for us like our cloud is uh, something which wasn't more like private uh, in private. We had uh, over 50 paying customers but uh, we had like very long uh, wait list to sign up for that and this year we are actually finally getting to the point when we will go through that wait list and I believe pretty soon we will anyone who can join and get our access to our cloud can do it immediately with self sign up flows and so on. That is uh, the major deliverable. And on the open source side, we have a lot of features. Uh, Rylan is a project pro <laughs> product manager, so he can probably talk about the exciting features which are coming. Mm.
1: Yeah, um, so I think the one that's like the most uh, pressing and top of mind um, that we're most excited about is uh, Python support. Um, So, you know, that's probably been one of the most requested, um, maybe tied with uh, JavaScript and TypeScript support which we added, um, you know, actually GA was earlier this year. Uh, But Python is constantly um, asked for from people in the community, um, you know, just all the time. So uh, we've been working on that. We have like an excellent engineer who's been driving that. It's now like in the final stages of being in beta. uh, And so actually it will be GA very, very soon. Uh, And it provides a very, very, um, I think, simple uh, way of getting into Temporal and understanding Temporal um, compared to the other SDKs, just by the nature of how you know um, enjoyable and easy to use Python is. Um, maybe unless you ask Max, Max, he has slightly different views there. Um, but I think you know, in terms of other functionality um, that we're super excited about right now, the way that most people get started with Temporal is through like um, Docker Compose files, uh, and we do feel like this is a significant barrier of entry, um, especially for people who aren't bought into like the Docker ecosystem or don't want to have to bring that level of dependency down Uh, and so we're going to be offering like a um all in single binary um for the product where you can just download that and actually that was work done by um, datadog initially and so we're kind of building on what they've um, gifted to us Uh, and so our hope is that you know like by the end of the year um everyone will start using temporal through this like you know um single binary that they install with brew or apt or whatever it else that they're using to install packages Um, So that's another big one. Um, I think another really cool feature is that right now it's possible to like update a workflow that's already running and send like an event um, for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, And it's also possible separately to ask for data like read only data from a workflow, uh, which we call the queries. Uh, But right now there's no way to both send data to a workflow and get something back at the same time. Like there's no request and response um, kind of primitive. Uh, So we are actually adding that Um, workflow update is something that we're um, super invested in, we're working on now, and that will make it so there's just a single primitive uh, for sending things in and getting things out in most cases. And then the last one, which is probably the most fundamental, um, probably the the hardest one to explain in the time we have. Uh, But right now, you know, uh, if you want to use Temporal for like, you know, a bunch of use cases um, and you want those use cases to interact with each other and you want, you know, the applications that you've built to interact, uh, Temporal does not provide necessarily the best solution for that today. Uh, And so, you know, we really wanted to for a long time solve this problem where the moment that you um, are using Temporal and you want to connect with other people are using Temporal, that should be the greatest experience in the world. And that's like, you know, really what we're we're driving towards. Uh, And so we have a new project. It's uh, called Nexus. Um, It's something that Max and I have been working on for like like two years now. Uh, And essentially it provides you a way to actually surface your temporal application logic and the things that you've built uh, to other people who are using temporal and eventually even people who aren't using temporal. And so we're even kind of building an abstraction layer uh, that represents the value proposition that temporal provides, but without requiring you to actually buy into temporal and still getting those benefits. Uh, And so in that way, it'll be possible to interact with um, temporal applications outside of temporal or interact with applications that aren't built with temporal from temporal, but in an Intuitive way. Uh, and so Nexus is like for us, like really a, a next step of the product and um, the technology in terms of getting adoption and expanding the use cases that are possible.
2: I think one way, uh, other way to look at that is imagine uh, right now we talk about from service meshes and, uh, and RPC services, uh, but those uh, don't work very well as soon as you have an operation which can take a long time. So if you make a request and requests take two hours, you cannot use RPC services. And service mesh is not going to help you. And people walk around that with Webhooks, there's like uh, queues, there are polling, and there are various ways to do that. But there is no standard in the industry. There is, If I go to 10 developers and say, can you define an API for the service which can, uh, like operations can take three hours? And this is what we are trying to do with this project is practically say, we will actually have a standard way to define long run operations. We actually call them arbitrary length operation ALOs. Uh, and uh, then there will be certain capabilities attached to that. For example, you say, oh, they're cancelable. This is the way you discover their current status. This is the way you kind of get the result, and you can bind them to different technologies. You can bind them to queues or to webhooks, but then you can kind of make them, uh, like the way you work with them, very seamless. And uh, that is what we are trying to do there, is just kind of define this a low abstraction, and then on top of that, build the kind of service APIs. And your API can be more like, oh yeah, this is my input and output, but it can take three hours and it will very good experience. Because from temporal when you call it, it's just a blocking call, it's just normal synchronous API API call.
0: Yeah. So, like, is this is is the goal then with with Nexus? Is it kind of I don't know fair to think of it as a, like a standard that you guys are trying to establish so it's easier? I guess in the use cases we described before, like with our transaction fails on the second call of three right like with like so it's easier like oh if this fails i i can
1: get more information from the upstream service if they are using like the nexus paradigm as well Uh, i can answer that but i think uh, i'm going to use an analogy max is probably not too fond of so there's two different layers there um there's nexus and then this thing that uh, max mentioned which is called arbitrary length operation um alo um is the standard uh and the way that at least majority of people I've talked to it really helps them conceptualize it is that the value you get out of at least in JavaScript of a promise the concept of a promise uh, imagine if that extended to something that could be represented by a server so like this the concept of like a durable or server-side promise that represents this unit of work which is eventually going to complete or or fail which is a type of completion so that is um, the first thing that we're, we're talking about here is this standard which has nothing to do with temporal which is really just describing like what is the pattern in sort of the back and forth communication required uh, in the API required to, you know, support this concept of like a a long running operation and definitely a long running operation. Uh, So that's the first thing. Um, The next thing is this temporal specific portion we've talked about, which is called Nexus, which really allows you to expose an API, any API um, from temporal um, using your existing temporal primitives like workflows and activities. Um, The thing about it is that it allows you to expose those things as ALOs. And so the idea being that if anyone else then buys into ALOs, they don't need to care whether they're calling something on temporal or calling something that was uh, backed by Kafka and a database. All that they need to care about is, does it support the contract of an ALO? Because that's really what fundamentally represents the value that you get out of temporal in the first place and so like why does it matter whether it's temporal at the end of the day as long as you get that you know interaction in that contract that's really what you care about got it got it. yeah. that helps a lot
0: yeah thank you for
1: i think that 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 explanation
0: is a particularly clean one yeah like thinking about i don't know real world events like server operations as a things in whatever language you're writing in i think is is a pretty
1: uh Use maybe that's a very good way of uh, synthesizing it back. So yeah, yeah.
2: And and in practice, if you if you use temporal to consume, then you will actually get the real promise back, like at least in TypeScript.
0: Yeah, it probably feels pretty magical when you like get it back. So, okay, I don't even have to think about it as the dev. It just is is the data that I requested. It's just maybe been three days. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, Well, you guys talked about the future quite a bit. Is there anything else kind of on the horizon or on the roadmap that you guys are excited about or even just stuff you've recently published? I see some notes on like visibility and like traceability.
1: There's one thing I have to talk about. We had a conference. Um, We had our first user conference in August. uh, And, you know, it was something like we started uh, as a company basically during the pandemic. Uh, Many of us have met each other, you know, not that many times. And so like this whole idea of like in person has been a bit like, up in the air. No one really knew where that was going. Um, And uh, especially we have like a really big DevRel team at the company, um, especially now. Uh, And so, you know, they're trying to understand how do they align with like this new world and like how do they provide value and all that stuff. And um, we even tried going to some like other um, large conferences around developer uh, ecosystems uh, and we saw really not great turnout and we were kind of um, discouraged there. Um and so we decided though at some point there had been enough like traction and enough users in the community that we really felt it was time for like an in-person event um and so we decided to you know have our first conference actually just um August 26th. Uh and so uh that happened in Seattle. Um we you know ended up getting I think it was like almost 300 people um for the main day uh which was like we could we couldn't be more like just so proud and just so happy and like appreciative of that turnout. It was like one of the most amazing moments, at least for me uh, in my time working uh, at any company, uh, just seeing how many people were like, you know, genuinely interested in what we spend our time building and, you know, what we um, invest all of our energy in. Uh, And so that was a really wonderful experience. It gave us a really um, amazing understanding of like who's out there in the temporal community. Um, You know, you have like entire tables at the conference that are just dedicated to specific companies like um, Datadog or Stripe um, or other really, really large companies. And that's just like a really massive magical thing to see. And so I think that was a very, very uh, exciting thing for us. Everyone who was there, it's just like they left with an energy that I don't think you can really replace with anything else. So it's it's definitely worth mentioning. That was like a a big highlight for us in the last couple months.
2: And as it was very successful, we plan to have much larger conference next year. It was the first one. So yeah, watch us and uh, please, please, please join us next year. Um, one, one other thing is uh, about, uh, you mentioned like visibility and other things. I think one important thing about Temporal, we always talked about how you write your code so far. But because we built this uh, at Amazon and then uh, uh, at Uber, we actually covered the whole life cycle right? How you make sure that your application never goes down, how you, do, how you make sure that you can upgrade your service without downtime, how you make sure that you can roll back things, how you make sure that you can version your workflows, how you troubleshoot them in production. It's, uh, it's, uh, so our value is not only in uh, improving developer experience in, uh, during development time, but it's also a huge, huge, huge advantage, uh, gives you huge advantage during operations. Your life is so much easier because we record almost every event. So practically troubleshooting things in production is so easy. You can even go, for example, you, you have, for example, null pointer during production in your workflow. You can just download the history, open that in debugger, and repro- and replay it as many times as you want in your debugger just to troubleshoot. So if you've got error once in production, re- uh, you practically always can reproduce that. So not many systems. And then we do error handling. For example, you can have uh, service call another service call another service call another service, and we can do give you exception stack trace across like four different services in different languages, for example. And I don't think there is any other system and we integrate this kind of stuff like metering like uh, tracing open tracing all these things already integrated into the system you get this out of the box
0: yeah, nice very cool yeah I mean yeah it sounds it sounds like it'd be yeah quite the dream to like be all set up and able to debug and figure stuff out that way um
2: one one thing maybe I don't know if uh, we got time. Like Rylan probably can give some. Just uh, maybe uh, mention some companies which publicly um, kind of uh, uh, using us. I, I think just to give some people some sense of the type of users we have.
1: Yeah. So um, very quickly I used to say like so Snap. Um, they're using us for a bunch of things, but um, they're actually really interesting because not only are they using the technology, um, they're actually using our cloud offering uh, publicly. And so uh, if you've like you know used a Snap uh, story or posted a Snap story like at, at all. Um, at least in the last, like, Good while uh, that's running a workflow every single time you do that, um, and so that's like a really exciting one for us. Obviously, the scale there—you can kind of like read between the lines—it's—it's it's large. Uh, we, you know, we also have um, companies like Datadog who are not only super invested in terms of the amount of stuff they're building with it, they're also contributing a ton back. And so, like that single binary experience, for example, um, that was actually something that a uh, Datadog initially built out, and um, we've actually like learned a lot and been inspired a lot um, in terms of the product investments we're making based on just things they're organically doing internally. And so I think at this point, there's like over 400 people that are writing temporal coded data which is just absolutely insane. Uh, and then we have, you know, companies like Netflix, um, also, you know, who are heavily using us for various parts of, of the um, internals and Netflix um, for like CI/CD stuff, um, a lot of the stuff around Spinnaker. Um, companies like Indeed, so like for, you know, um, basically their uh, ATS for like candidates who are coming in uh, and they need to send those to other backend systems. Um, Qualtrics does their like top level workflows product with uh, Temporal. Uh, so yeah, there's like a, a ton of really, really, really impressive companies who have taken a bet on us and are just wonderful partners and we're really super appreciative of that. That. Same. Oh, one last thing is that we will be at GopherCon uh, in like a month. So if anyone's at GopherCon, please come say hi to us.
0: Nice. Nice. It's awesome to hear that. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll be sure to get a link uh, to it in the show notes so listeners can go check it out and, and play with the frogs a little bit. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for uh, coming on and chatting with me. It's been a pleasure.
2: It was pleasure.
3: Hey, this is Emily, one of the producers for PodRocket. I'm so glad you're enjoying this episode. You probably hear this from lots of other podcasts, but we really do appreciate our listeners. Without you, there would be no podcast. And because of that, it would really help if you could follow us on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to bring you conversations with great devs like Evan Yu and Rich Harris. In return, we'll send you some awesome PodRocket stickers. So check out the show notes on this episode and follow the link to claim your stickers as a small thanks for following us on Apple Podcasts.